You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on the Book of Romans, now looking at Romans E. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Romans E, the second half of Romans chapter 2. Last time we saw that Paul insisted, the Gentiles will not make it. Even though their consciences may uh, defend them at times, they will also be condemned by their consciences. No one will make it at the last day apart from God. We need God. In the same way, no Jew, no one who has the law will make it if he disregards it. So let's continue in verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law, and boast of your relation to God, and know his will, and determine what is best, because you are instructed in the law. And if you are sure that you are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, a corrector of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then that teach others, will you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You that forbid adultery, do you commit adultery? You that abhor idols, do you rob temples? You that boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now let's break this down. He's made the case, a strong case, that the Gentile world is in darkness, and yet at the same time, much of the Jewish world is in darkness. If you call yourself a Jew, verse 17, he's not just saying that whatever you claim to be, no questions will be asked. For us, no one's a Christian just because he says he's one. It's not enough, even if we take pride in our religion. And he speaks here of one who is convinced that he knows what is best for others to do and instructs them, someone who's not ashamed of of God's word. Is this Paul being autobiographical? I don't believe so. And we'll come to the troubling uh, chapter 7 later on. But this part of of chapter 2 does not seem to refer to Paul. Paul, before he was a Christian, lived with a clear conscience. Several times he insists that he always kept his conscience clear. For example, in the book of Acts, even before he was a Christian, he wasn't living hypocritically. Now, he was on the wrong track. He was persecuting the Lord implicitly as he was persecuting the Lord's followers, the Christians. Well, Paul was not living a double life. He, he was not guilty of hypocrisy himself. It's not as though he was inwardly uh, guilty. No, he was uh, very confident that he was on the right track. So I, I don't think that this is autobiographical. It's rather a continuation of Paul's commentary on hypocrisy. And these are things that we know from history God's people struggled with. Sins like theft, adultery, robbing temples. You'd say, robbing temples? What is that? Well, uh, this is not robbing God's temple. Uh, This is robbing pagan temples. Amazing things. 
that God's people would be involved in. You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Right? So it's about reputation. And then he ends with a verse from the Old Testament. The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Now that's a quotation from the book of Isaiah 52. In the historical situation, the Jews had been taken into exile. This could have been a great opportunity for the pagans, the Gentile world surrounding them, to see their faith and to be attracted to it. But rather than acting as a kind of leaven in society and showing them the true God, the majority of the Jews did not have that impact. Some did, but most didn't. In fact, they gave a wrong idea to the Gentile world, and it says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Verse 17 uh, to 24, I would like to read it again, but I want to tweak it. I want to make it apply even more directly to us. So I'm going to paraphrase. But you, if you call yourself a disciple, you rely on the New Testament, and you confident of your relationship with God, you have your daily quiet time, you pray, you read, you know his will, you know what's best because you've been instructed in the first principles of God's word, and you're sure that you're a guide to the blind, you know much more than those denominational Christians, you're a light to everyone who's on the wrong track, you are corrector of the foolish, you teach others who seem childish because of your great Bible knowledge? Well, you teach others? Do you teach yourself? While you preach against laziness, are you stealing God? Stealing time from God? Are you living a life of impact? Are you wasting his time and the resources he's invested in you? You who forbid lust, do you indulge in internet pornography? You who abhor pride, do you resist input? Do you ever seek it? You who boast in the Bible, are you dishonoring God by going against the Bible? For it's written, God's name is ridiculed worldwide because of your reputation, you so-called Christian. Okay, I've taken some liberty there, but it is a challenging passage. Let's look at the last paragraph, and I want to hopefully open our, our, our minds to a thought that, well, it may be new, it may not be new, but it needs to be said. Circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if those who are uncircumcised keep the requirements of the law, won't their uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then those who are physically uncircumcised but keep the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. Rather, a person's a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of the heart. It's spiritual and not literal. Such a person receives praise, not from others, but from God. Wow. What a passage. It has echoes of the prophets, echoes of Deuteronomy, uh, actually many things that Jesus said. And, and what is this idea of uncircumcision and circumcision? 
Paul is not referring to a surgical operation where a Jew uh, tried to remove the, his marks of circumcision. Paul refers to that in 1 Corinthians 7. Well, it's, it's noted in the apocryphal books of 1 Maccabees, 2 Maccabees. I don't think he's talking about becoming uncircumcised. He's talking about those who take pride in their Jewish heritage who are as though they had never been circumcised. So uncircumcision in that sense. This is a common biblical thought. I guess I, I first ran into it when I read Jeremiah as a young Christian. Passages like Jeremiah 4.4. 4. Uh, but there are others in Jeremiah and Deuteronomy that distinguish circumcision of the heart from circumcision of the flesh. And God is looking for circumcision of the heart. Really, he was looking for both because all Jews were supposed to be circumcised. This, of course, means the males. But it wasn't enough just to be circumcised outwardly in a physical sense. The heart had to be dealt with. In a sense, the flesh, obviously circumcision involves some flesh, but the flesh, in terms of our stubborn self-reliance, our insisting on proving that we're good people, uh, fighting for our reputation instead of God's, that, that's the flesh. It's the opposite of spirit. That kind of flesh needs to be removed, needs to be cut away. And there are many images in prophetic books like Zechariah, uh, Jeremiah, Isaiah. Oh, how about Ezekiel? Passages that talk about the new heart that God longs to give us. Now, that's the, the background. So when Paul talks about a real circumcision being a circumcision of the heart, he's, he's really saying the same things that were relayed through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and in Jeremiah. Circumcise your hearts. Don't be stiff-necked any longer. I'm going to read this Jeremiah passage. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Or how about this? Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you've done. Burn with no one to quench it. You see, these quotations, these thoughts uh, flow through Romans 2. Paul is in the zone, the zone of Deuteronomy, that book that talks about love of God and obedience to God. He's in the zone of Jeremiah, who tells his people it's not enough just to, quote, go to church. You have to actually live the life. This is a, a vital Old Testament idea. And while it challenges hypocrisy, I think for older Christians, for those who've put up with a lot and have been around a long time, this may challenge us in yet another way. Think of the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, and you know that the one who was really lost at the end was the older son, because after all, the younger son, the one who engaged in what we might think was fleshly living, he came back. He was honored with the party. But biblically, the flesh is not so much having a life of parties and uh, just following your impulses. I think of First uh, Peter 4, uh, verses 1 to 4. The flesh is not so much that as selfishness. It's living for self. And it, it's an attitude that contaminates faith and twists religion. And 
That includes our concept of God. So the one who is really living in the flesh in the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, it's the older son, the one who didn't seem to be the partying type. Ah, because in the Bible, flesh has much more to do with our relationship uh, to, to God. It has to do with who we are relying on, self or the Lord. Now, this is where it gets challenging. Paul seems to be saying here that someone may have been taught improperly or may be missing a key covenant marker, like circumcision. I mean, in the Old Testament, how did you know you were a Jew? What were the most emphasized aspects indicating you were Jewish? Keeping Sabbath. That was unusual in the ancient world to take a day off. The Jews, the ones who took off the seventh day, to have those food laws, foods that you rejected as ritually unclean, keeping kosher. And then the third marker of Judaism was circumcision for the males. How do we know someone's a real Jew? Well, we would look at those external markers. How do we know someone's a real Christian? A lot of people I talk to would say, well, they would need to have the Bible, and they need to go to church. They would have to be baptized. And if they do that, then we shouldn't judge them, and they'll be okay. But isn't there a parallel here? And I'm not saying it's exact, but what if you plug in the word baptism for the one, for the word circumcision? In other words, looking down not on the one who's not circumcised, but the one who's not baptized. Again, please, let, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it's an exact parallel, but it seems to be uh, remarkably applicable. Could it be that God would say, well, the one who wasn't baptized, who didn't quite follow the apostolic plan, but his heart was in the right place, will make it? Because real baptism is a matter of the heart. And he, in a sense, would condemn you because you wouldn't make it. You may have gone through the correct motions, the correct uh, ritual, but you've missed the whole point. And, and again, I have, and I'll, I'll say that for the third and final time, no, I have no desire to diminish the importance of faith, repentance, baptism. Uh, what I teach on that is it's on film and in books, it's in print. Uh, you know where I stand. But Paul seems to say it's so much more than that. Do you know anyone, and I'm assuming that you're a disciple of Christ, do you know anyone who's godly, though he or she doesn't have a complete understanding of biblical truth? Do you know anyone who's Christ-like, though he or she is missing some of the technical understanding that would be desirable? Do you know anyone who shows signs of the Holy Spirit? working in his or her heart, someone who's spiritual, even if that person is confused about how we're supposed to receive the Spirit. And what do we do when we see God working in someone's life who hasn't followed the plan? Someone who seems to understand Christ and live for him. Someone who seems to have the Spirit. What does this mean? This bothers us enormously. The problem of the outsider. And I suggest that the heart issue, the heart question, is no different from the problem of the older son in Luke 15. Now, 
what are you going to do with this? For not circumcision, because that's not required, Colossians 2.16, but for baptism. No one would could make a biblical case that this is optional. But is it possible that someone could be a, Jew, a, a true Christian without fully understanding this vital uh, initiation ceremony, this means of receiving the Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. So I'd like you to read over this passage one more time and think about this. Circumcision is a value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, it's as though you've never done it. If those who are uncircumcised keep the requirements of the law, won't their uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? You know, God is fair. God's just. Maybe someone has not been baptized, but could it be that because of where that person's heart is, he will be regarded as though he were baptized? Now, that may be a distressing thought. Uh, In the past, I haven't, haven't, uh, let's say, I've not shared that publicly, though in my series on friend or foe, how Christians relate to those outside the church, I've uh, walked around it. But when I did my study of Romans last year, which was in 2014, I was hit very hard, especially by this passage, the very end of Romans 2, very convicted. It would be certainly easier to reject those who lack technical understanding of doctrine, but biblically, the focus is so much more on life and heart and sincerity. So let's have the right balance, but let's not ignore passages that make us uncomfortable, whether they challenge us on hypocrisy or they challenge us on just how broad God's grace truly is. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on Romans. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.